Second Kings chapter 11. Satan's other daughter is the title of this evening's consideration. I knew a church that was trying to make a movie about Jezebel and Athaliah, and they wanted Hillary and Nancy to play the leading roles, but they wouldn't sign. Okay, that's not true, but it could be. I may repeat myself a few times on purpose through this evening because the family relationships are very confusing. We'll try to, and, and important though, that's the, the catch. Uh, so I'll try to, to hopefully communicate it well enough for you to not uh, be too confused. We are about 840 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. Parallel account to this story is in Second Chronicles, and that that is important too because you get other details that Kings doesn't say at all, and Chronicles doesn't say at all, and so it's good to cross-reference if you want to dig into this. But what we have tonight shifts back from we closed out chapter ten with Jehu and the end of his his life and and uh, his being succeeded by his son. Well, the story now goes back to the time that Jehu killed uh, Ahaziah, the king of Judah, and he also had killed Joram, the king of Israel, with the arrow. And uh, not only does it go back in time, in its narrative, but it also now focuses on Judah, mostly in kings up to this point. We've been in the northern kingdom. Now we're going south. And so we look at verse 1, then Athaliah, the mother of Ahaziah, saw that her son was dead. She arose and destroyed all his royal heirs. Well, she is the daughter of Ahab and most certainly the daughter of Jezebel. Even though we're not, it doesn't come out, the Bible doesn't say she's the daughter of Jezebel. And she is. <laughs> and if she isn't biologically, she is every other way. And as a daughter of Ahab and Jezebel, she's not part of the Davidic line. She has no claim, legitimate claim, to the throne in Judah. That's where the Davidic line, the dynasty of David, is to be. And I think the historians of 2 Kings refuse to name her mother out of such just disdain for her, uh, Jezebel, that is. Uh, Jezebel also, she, Jezebel's Satan's daughter, and Athaliah is the other daughter of Satan, and we'll see exactly why, that it's not really hyperbole. Well, she married Athaliah, she married Jehoram. And Jehoram was the son of a godly king, Jehoshaphat, who just could not pick friends. He just made bad choices when it came to choosing his acquaintances. Well, Jehoshaphat makes this arrangement for his son Joram, king of the south with the people of the north, and that's how Athaliah makes her way in. We pick up in Second Chronicles 22. He also walked in the ways of the house of Ahab. That is not Jehoshaphat, but his son Jehoram. For his mother advised him to do wickedly, and his the, the mother of Ahaziah, the son of Jehoram, she's the one advising the king that Jehu killed to do wickedly. 
And when after he's killed, she's going to steal the throne. Athaliah, this queen mother, she was the queen for eight years married to Jehoram. And see how it gets a little tricky? All these names. It'd be hard. It'd be difficult even if they were, you know, uh, common names for us. Well, she's eight years the queen married to King Jehoram. Then she's the queen mother for a year. When her son Ahaziah comes to the throne, he only lasts for a year. She was the queen mother. But now she usurps the throne at his death, and she is going to be the illegitimate queen for six years. And you say, okay, well, why are you telling me this? Well, you have 15 years of satanic influence in Judah because of this one person. And she is one of the worst. Jezebel gets more press, but she's on the same level as Jezebel. She, of course, is a pagan, an idolater. She's a fanatic for Baal. That leaves no room in her heart for any other gods. She hated everything Yahweh, especially the Davidic line and its claims to the throne. Even heaven is not big enough for fake gods. And that's something that many people either choose to not consider or have not been nudged to consider, and hopefully we will. We, can, we will get an opportunity to tell the unbelievers who think that all roads lead to heaven. Listen, heaven is not big enough for fake gods. Stop it. There's only one way. And we know that way, and we want to share it. Well, it says here in verse 1 that she saw her son was dead. She arose and destroyed all the royal heirs. She had her own grandchildren massacred. You see, this is Satan's daughter. She wants no one to have a claim on the throne. This was Satan's direct assault on the Davidic line, the the Messianic line of Messiah. Satan hoped to prove God incapable of fulfilling his promises and his prophecies concerning David and the Jewish people. And he is to this day, because he is the consummate nut, truly insane, spiritually insane. That does not reduce his deadliness, it increases it. And to this day, he's hoping to exterminate the Jewish people because of the covenants. He wants to prove that God can be wrong and that he can be on his level. Who else can prove God wrong, he thinks, but me? Now, when we say Satan again, it can be used two ways. Most of the time we mean, you know, well, not most of the time. Many times we mean Lucifer himself, and that's who I'm cho- using it, because Satan means the enemy. But he has, there are a host of fallen beings and demonic beings, and they make up Satan. So when we say Satan has been harassing you, we're not talking about Lucifer. We're talking about one of his minions. So it's an inclusive statement. Lucifer himself, of course, goes for the high-value targets. It was Lucifer that faced Jesus in the wilderness, for example. It is Lucifer who is the prince of Persia that goes over the rulers of the world. There are some fallen beings so wicked, they're still locked up. But they will be released. At least some of them will. Anyway, Satan has been and continues to attempt to destroy the line 
of Jacob, not only David, but Jacob. This would account for the genocide that is hurled against the Jewish people. One of the most recent, of course, in Nazis in, in Germany. The hatred of the world for this one little country that never invades anybody's country unless it is in retaliation. Athaliah was the devil's seed who tried to destroy God's seed. You could say it that way. It's an overview of all of the battlefield. And God uses Satan. And we'll, I'll come to that and how this ties into we human beings. Because Satan is not human. But he is a beast nonetheless. Ahaziah's older brothers had been killed in raids by the Philistines. We picked that up in Second Chronicles 22 also. But there were other surviving males of the Davidic line, including his sons. And that's who she sought to exterminate. Recalls to mind the satanic Herod the evil. The world calls him Herod the Great. He was the one that launched the massacre of the Bethlehem innocents. Those little children under two years and below that he had them slaughtered. Well, it's not the first time this has happened. In fact, Jehu was doing this in the north to Ahab's family. Jeremiah thirty three seventeen. For thus says Yahweh, David shall never lack a man to sit on the throne of the house of Israel, ultimately fulfilled in Messiah. And Satan, he is just determined. Now, Jeremiah says that after these events, another, it is not for another 300 years before he gets to say it, rounding off the numbers, of course, but it is something that was already baked into the Jewish scripture, and they all knew it well since the days that this is, you know, a man after my own heart and the anointing from Samuel forward in the life of David. That she had enough, though being in the minority, that she had enough support, Jewish supporters, is very disheartening to see this. She could do none of this if, there were, if, if it were not for Jewish people supporting her, carrying out her orders. She didn't take the sword and kill uh, these uh, heirs of David, of the Davidic line. Uh, she gave the order. And others carried it out instead of saying no and killing her instead. That's not how it worked initially, but it's going to work that way ultimately. Were you a godly Jew? If you were a godly Jew in Judah who knew the Davidic covenants in the scripture and saw the house of David slaughtered, not knowing that there was a survivor, would you conclude that God had failed in his word? that Satan prevailed? If news came to you, the entire line of David has been wiped out. And for it, this was a secret. The survivor was held secret for six years. What would you have done? Would you have said, my Bible's not true? Because we have people fretting over, well, this is a discrepancy. This says 44, this says 4,400. And, oh, you know, do I trust the Bible? Yeah, you trust it, because there's more to the story than that. Satan is allowed to assail our faith for this very reason. And we're getting a microcosm of it right here. We're seeing on a small scale that there would have been people in Judah who did not know there was a survivor, was told that the covenant was broken, and they would have had to say to themselves, what am I to do with God's word now? If you resolve to trust God you would conclude that the supposed evidence 
was misleading and at fault, not the facts. You would have said to yourself, fact, the descendants appear to be all dead. Fact, God's words never fails. Fact, I don't have all the answers, but I have enough of the answers to have enough of the faith to trust God's word. That's what would have happened if you were a believer. This is going to be acted out again. Matthew 24, verse 24. For false Christ and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, the elect. So there are going to be other people that have a chance to trust God or not in the face of supposed evidence. And they just pile into hell. There there are so many kids that go to the universities in their first year, they, they toss their faith away. They become apostates. And, of course, there are the naysayers, well, you, can, you know, they were never saved. Oh, yeah, they were. If they were baptized, believing in God, we've seen, we've seen them. And then they throw it all away because Satan has gotten to them because they weren't able to stand and say, I don't have all the answers, but I have enough of the answers to have enough of the faith to stand against you, Satan. She arose, it says here in verse 1, and destroyed all the royal heirs. Royal heirs here in the Hebrew, literally the royal seed. She hated the scripture. She hated its morality. She hated its prophecy, which validated its writings. As Peter said, we have the more sure word of prophecy. You don't believe me? Check the prophecies. How are you going to dispute that? She hated the judgments of God's word because it didn't play around with sin. It didn't, you know, apologize to man. And she hated truth. This was Athaliah. This was Jezebel. This was Ahab. This is a a, a bunch of people to this very day. The same way. They hate the scripture. They hate the morality. They hate the prophecy. They hate the truth. They hate the judgments. The wise side with the one who has all the power. And Jesus said, don't worry about those that could just kill the body. You better worry about the one that can deal with your soul that can kill the soul by that, not let it into heaven. The worst thing about life is very simple, is pain. Pain ruins everything, whether it's emotional, mental, physical. Take pain away, life is great. Well, that's coming in heaven and it's promise. And he shall wipe away every tear and there will be no more sorrow, there will be no more pain, there will be no more death, for the former things have passed away. And we'll look back and say all the suffering in this life, all the stupidity of this life was worth going through to get to you, Lord Jesus. That's our message. And it's a take it or leave it message. And if you come across somebody who leaves it, say, fine, next. And I have a friend, friend years ago, older friend, he used to tell me one of his favorite words were the words of a bank teller. Next, next. He just said, what's next? He didn't believe, though. Verse 2, But Jehosheba, the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. And they hid him and his nurse in the bedroom from Athaliah so that he was not killed. Again, there are many people in Judah would not have known this. They kept it secret from everybody. This now begins the story, this section in the story of the princess and the priest. These are noble characters. Under threat of death, they are upholding the word of God. 
the risk of their lives. The child is, he's not more than a year old. He comes to the throne when he's seven, he's hid for six years. The math is fairly simple there. This major disjunctive conjunction, but Jehoshaphat, Jehoshiba is closer to it. This word, the disjunctive, but kept the messianic line from being destroyed. That one little act upholds God's word and Satan could do nothing about it. It was nothing the forces of hell could do about this. God would never allow his word to be overcome. Jehoshiba, she is one of the great women of the Bible who is the wife of one of the great men of the Bible. And yet, most Christians or believers, we pass over this because it's tucked in. It's tucked in the, the deeper readings. She is the aunt of this little Joash boy who they're hiding. He is the legitimate heir to the throne, not his grandmother who's trying to kill him. She, Jehoshiba is the sister of King Ahaziah, whom Jehu killed when he killed Jehoram. He, you know, he shot one in the, with the arrow and then he shot the other one. She is the sister to that king of, of Judah, who Jehu assassinated. It does not tell us that Athaliah is the mother, perhaps the stepmother within the harem. In other words, Jehoshiba she is likely not the daughter of Athaliah because the Bible doesn't say she is. Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that she was a half-sister of Ahaziah, which would mean Athaliah, the wicked witch here, is the stepmother of this Jehoshiba. I told you it's going to get a little confusing. So the woman that is saving the boy is the stepdaughter to the Satan's other daughter, Athaliah. It says here in verse 2, but the daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah. So there we know that, that at least a stepsister with the kings with their harems, of course, they, this was all over the place. It just made things terrible. Polygamy never worked in the scripture. It always caused trouble, even amongst the righteous. Go, go back to Abraham and Hagar and Sarah. What a disaster. Well, coming back to this, how opposite, how utterly opposite we have evidence of how kin can be. Well, it starts back again in, in Eden, well, after Eden with Cain and Abel, how different they were. But this is ridiculous that you can have this wicked Ahaziah under the influence of his wicked mother and you have his sister, Jehoshiba, devout and heroic, brave. Now, Again, the good King Jehoshaphat arranged this marriage with Joram, who married uh, Athaliah. They had Azariah, Azariah as the son. Joram's daughter-in-law was an archangel of hatred. That's Athaliah. She's the archangel of hatred, but Jehosheba is the archangel of love. And this is how it is. You have these super forces in place. It could be on a small scale in a home. You have this person that's just a, just a devil. And the sad thing is about when a person is a devil, oftentimes using Jesus in the Bible, most folks can't see it. You can't see this person. 
doing the evil because they lack spiritual discernment. If I said, who among you has spiritual discernment? I would guess every hand would go up. And I would go, hmm. Let me see your bookshelf. <laughs> when I say, when I pull one off and say, do you know this guy? Do you know what he writes about? I'm not, it's just a scenario I'm giving you. Where's that discernment? My experience over the decades of ministry is that mo- many Christians, if not all of them, should come in contact. They think they have spiritual discernment, but they have nothing to back that up with. Because they'll listen to some nut job just as fast as they'll listen to, listen to some solid Bible teacher. That's not spiritual discernment. That's drinking. That's what I like to say, that's drinking from any mud hole you come along. If it's got a puddle in it, you'll drink. Say it that way, and hopefully it stings a little bit if you're guilty. And if you're not guilty, it stings. It sits a little bit so that you can use it on those who need to hear it. I'm not saying it maliciously. It's just a fact, just the facts. The daughter of King Joram, sister of Ahaziah, opposite godly Jehoshaphat, routinely made poor choices of friends, and it affected the lives of many in future generations long after his death. And here we see it right here. It does matter how you choose your friends. You go out into the world, you get a job in the world for the first time. You're, now, you know, you're not at home and the mom and dad telling you what to do. And now you're out in the world, you're going to meet people that are devils. You're going to meet some that are angels, figuratively, of course. And you have to learn how to, to, to say, you know, this is bad. I'm staying away from this person. And I'll, I'll go to these. It may come with a price, but that, uh, it's worth it. Anyway, it says that uh, he, he, she took Joash, the son of Ahaziah, and stole him away from among the king's sons who were being murdered. Well, the future of God's promises to David, they were woven into his plan of salvation from the very beginning. Ever since, you know, you, you know the seed of a woman, that, that promise in Genesis chapter 3 is, is looking forward to the virgin birth. And Satan was suspicious of these things. He doesn't have perfect knowledge. There's something in the scripture he couldn't figure out. He wasn't sure Jesus was who he said he was. And so that's the, that's the trial in the wilderness. Well, anyway, we know looking at the scripture, we have the Holy Spirit unfolding these things, if not directly to us, to solid Bible teaches for us. So these promises all are now wrapped up in this little boy named Joash. They're all centered in this single individual. Had he died, that would have been it. And Satan thought he was going to pull it off. He said, I was, I was there. I was right there. I almost finished him. God said, no, you did not. You say, what about all the little children that were slaughtered in Bethlehem and the ones here? Well, what if God took them straight to heaven? They have a better day than you criticizing God for letting it happen. I mean, you'd be applauding God. You should be saying, man, I can't believe they, they dodged all this stuff in this life. Well, perspective, it, it matters. Coming back to this, her name, Jehosheba, Yahweh's Oath. This is big. By the heroine with this name, Yahweh's covenant oath was sustained. Sometimes the, the names in the Bible are, are incidental. They can, someone can have a godly name and be just a monster. 
Sometimes, you know, they have an okay name and they're just this great champion. So you, gotta, you have to keep it in context to the story to get something out of it. And in her case, it is right where it needs to be. Yahweh's oath, and she is the one. If it weren't for her stealing this boy, you know, the husband was probably at the temple working, you know, as the high priest. doesn't say he's a high priest, but he, he walks around like he is, so he probably is. And uh, she's the only one that could have, could have saved the child and the nursemaid, too. And that's important because the nursemaid loved the little boy. She became an advocate. Nobody in six years spilled the beans. And she, the wife of Jehoiada, who himself is a magnificent man, she is a princess. These, this combination allowed her to rescue and hide the one-year-old and keep him hidden for the six years. Against the wickedness of one woman, God set the compassion of another woman. And that compassion won. Well, that's Calvary. The compassion of God beats everything. But you have to receive it. Well, the righteous went underground in their resistance. And sometimes that's what the church has to do. It has to go underground. We're not called to always stand up and charge into the machine gun fire. Sometimes it's just a poor witness to do such things. And other times we, we are. Stephen, Stephen was called to face the machine guns. Paul was not. Paul was, well, he did in other ways, but initially they let him out of a, of a window in a basket. How humiliating. Well, we've only got this laundry basket, and I can't get out Jeffrey's shirt, so you're going to have to just hold your breath. <laughs> All right, my little thing. But uh, anyway, coming back to this. It is still, who would want to be lowered out of, down a wall? And what if the rope breaks? Anyhow, yeah, what a way to die, right? Death by basket. <laughs> and they hid him and his nurse, a dynamic duo. Many of these heroes are unnamed in the scripture. We've got four of them. We have Jehoiada, the priest, his wife, Jehoshiba, Joash, the boy, and his nurse. And you know what? This little boy's going to mess it up when he gets older. He's going to have a nice run, and that is a whole story by itself. In fact, that story, I'm getting ahead of my chapter, ahead of myself, but that his story parallels, to some degree, Nero. When Seneca was alive, and his other teachers, Nero behaved when Seneca died. Well, he actually had Seneca killed. Uh, he went crazy. So the value of discipleship is huge. We'll come to that in future chapters. So they hid him in, and his nurse in the bedroom of Athaliah. Well, actually, and this is the proper use of the word actually, because that's another abused word, uh, it's the chamber of mattresses. Why the translators do things like this is, uh, you know, we'll find out when we get to heaven and when the Inquisition starts. There's not going to be an Inquisition in heaven. <laughs> Just line up the translators, bring them in. Uh, it's a tough work. It really is. Uh, but anyhow, uh, this is a storeroom for mattresses and blankets. That's the idea. We have other, you know, brilliant minds that know the languages that can use root words to get us to where we need to be, how words are used. And then there's the context. They're not going to hide the boy in her room for six years the English does that. The Hebrew does not. Well, this reminds us of Obadiah, who stood up to Elijah, the terrifying prophet. 
and said, don't you know I hid 50 to a cave, 100 men of God with Jezebel's killing them? And I fed them bread and water. You know what it's like? Haul enough bread and water for 50 men hiding in two different caves? Impressive story. So that he was not killed, it tells us here. This was a well thought out and executed mission of rescue and security. Again, for six years, the future of the Messianic province promised all rest in this one little boy. And the others knew it. And it defeated Satan and Satan's daughters. Verse 3. You're wondering now, maybe, are we going to get to verse to the end of this? We are. So he was hidden with her in the house of Yahweh for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. So uh, they hide him initially. It appears that they hide him initially, then eventually they move him to the house of the Lord. Or uh, he initially goes right to the house of the Lord with these uh, mattresses and other things of that sort, cushions, blankets and stuff, a storehouse. Um, were, were kept. Don't get too tripped up on those things. It merits some investigation, but you can only go but so far with the language. Uh, this concerted effort of loyalty was on the highest level. This is high-level loyalty. To get food to the boy, did he ever go outside? Did he get to get fresh air? You know, you get questions about this. You know, then there's bathroom issues. You know, did he get sick? You know, uh, did he cry? You know, just all of these issues. You know, and they they overcame them. It says, while Athaliah reigned over the land. How many parents wept about that? Second Corinthians 4 tells us about Satan, whose mind the God of this age has blinded. That means he's got a lot of authority, a lot of power, and he can blind people. As I mentioned, some think they have spiritual discernment. Maybe they do, but many times they do not. I think the best way to handle that is to just be cautious and rely on the Lord. And don't be overzealous about your, you know, supposed gifts or gifts, whatever they may be. You can ha- you could be a gifted Bible teacher and then get carried away with it and, and not do what you're supposed to do because you've departed from dependency on the Lord. Never happened to me. I've been a perfect teacher all these years. Of course not. I got flashbacks sometimes of just, why did I do that, say that? Part of the process of development. Well, uh, I sometimes think that you who have been listening to me preach for years will get a, a pretty hefty reward in heaven just for that. <laughs> That's kind of humbling. But anyway, the daughter of Jezebel is now the queen of Judah. And we, we go through this in our life, right? We see, you know, these rotten people get rewarded with high position. I mean, Nancy Pelosi, I mean, she's just a wicked woman. I don't care what anybody thinks. Anybody that wants to slaughter babies as, as a pastime is, is of hell. And it's just a fact. I'm, it's nothing, um, it doesn't have to be personal, just a fact. That they, you know, what, are you going to do those things and nobody can say you're doing it? Uh, yeah. Well, anyway, back to this. Um, yeah. Well, we're going to let her continue to kill the babies, but we're going to arrest you for daring to, you know, violate some nonprofit thing or something like that. Anyhow, coming back to this, uh, the, this daughter of Jezebel, now the queen, worshipper of Baal, she was. She was a fanatic for Baal. We need to add that as as her mother Jezebel was, and this in the promised land, and she, she has the house of God stripped. 
taking the things over to Baal's house. We'll get to that in a little bit. She built uh, a temple in Jerusalem for Baal. And within the six years' time, she tore down Jerusalem as much as she could. How could it be? Because of the apostasy and the evil amongst the people who are called to be God's people. We see, we see the church, you know, places that is called themselves churches. We some some just trash the word of God and is so successful at it. Telling people you just need to name it and claim it and just envision yourself driving, you know, a, a Maserati or whatever you want and just claim it for God as though your word is sovereign. Use a Rima, brother. How about I use a club? On you for saying such blasphemous things. But the people, they believe it. They go out there, they believe it because they're greedy. Anyway, uh, God's temple is so deserted at this time. Look at how God works here. He lets the temple be trashed because this is what the people are doing. And then he uses the temple as a safe, as a refuge for the boy. Because nobody's going to look there. We're not going over the temple. We're going over the Baal's temple. All the bad people were avoiding the house of God. Where he was being hid. So Corey Tembunish, you know, when they were in the prison and the, the, their barracks had fleas and the guards didn't want to come in. So they had Bible studies and things like that. Uh, just the, the hand of the Lord. Anyway, the safest place to conceal the child king was the house of God because nobody was going there except righteous people and they weren't in the majority. Second Chronicles 24, verse 7, giving us a little bit more story uh, on the story. <clears throat> For the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman. You see, pause there. You see, when they're wicked, they call them wicked. You don't say, well, now, you know, you got to respect the office. She's wicked. I'm not talking about Athaliah now. I'm talking, <laughs> talking about the ones up about 300 miles north. Anyway, for the sons of Athaliah, that wicked woman had broken into the house of God and had also presented all the dedicated things of the house of Yahweh to the Baals. And so she was stealing all the good stuff from God's house and putting it in uh, use in, in the house of these demonic gods. And Jehoiada and Jehosheba, they knew what to do with this. Let's hide the boy where they'll never look in plain sight. Verse 4, In the seventh year, Jehoiada sent and brought the captains of the hundreds, the bodyguards, and the escorts, and brought them into the house of Yahweh to him. And he made a covenant with them, and took an oath from them in the house of Yahweh, and showed them the king's son. Now it's time. Now the story shifts. It's seven years later now, and Jehoiada, Jehoiada says, it's time. We can do this. He's been, he's been working the whole time, it seems. Second Chronicles 23, verse 2, speaks of him and these men that he makes this covenant with, they went throughout Judah and gathered the Levites from all the cities of Judah and the chief fathers of Israel, and they came to Jerusalem. And now they're going to they're get rid of this woman. Verse 5, Then he commanded them, saying, This is what you shall do. One third of you who come on duty on the Sabbath shall be keeping watch over the king's house. One-third shall be at the gate, verse 6, of Sir, and one-third at the gate behind the escorts. You shall keep a watch of the house, lest it be broken down. So he is setting up a safe zone for the boy, putting up a perimeter. It's around the Sabbath. <clears throat> because of the heightened activity at the temple, even in these troublesome times, they would increase the Levites, the servants, the security. 
after the Sabbath, they would go back to their regular shifts. So he's planned it when he's got all these men there already. So no one, if he does it on a Tuesday, like why is he bringing in all these Levites? So, but if he does it on a Sunday, well, they're expected because it's the heightened activity. So it's just well coordinated. And uh, uh, he's taking these careful measures to ensure that the death of Athaliah and the crowning of Joash take place simultaneously. He's going to succeed. Now, he's using that common three-pronged attack approach, splitting up his forces. David used it. Gideon used it. Abimelech, the self-appointed failed king of Israel, did it. Saul did it. The Philistines did it. Just that, that's the military note for the night. The three-pronged attack. Verse 7, Two contingents of you who go off duty on the Sabbath shall keep the watch in the house of Yahweh for the king. Interesting. The lad is their king. He's already discussed this with them. He's let them know, I, we've kept him alive. They're like, what? The, the, the line of David is alive? I knew it. You know, that kind of a thing. And so that's their king. They never acknowledged Athaliah as king. The, the, the memory phrase for pronouncing her name is liar. Athaliah. Uh, anyway, uh, in, in, in their hearts, this was just a dream come true. The six-year-old, he... Uh, so they had to restrain themselves for all, all this time. And they did it. Verse 8. But you shall, that is, the, the, the keepers, and then when they told the story, the keepers had to restrain themselves for six years. Verse 8. And you shall surround the king on all sides, every man with his weapon in his hand, and whoever comes within range, let him be put to death. You are to be with the king as he goes out and as he comes in. These are the bodyguards. Second Chronicles says the Levites shall surround the king on all sides. So these guys are, they are serious and nothing going to stop them. This is now a military operation and nothing is going to interfere. She's dead. She's a dead woman walking. And um, anyway, verse 9. So the captains of the hundreds did according to all that Jehoiada, the priests commanded. Each of them took his men who were on duty <clears throat> on the Sabbath with those who were going off duty on the Sabbath and came to Jehoiada, the priest. And so they, they had four times. Um, you know, they had the regular shift and the shifts that were, the three on the Sabbath that were going off. So they were, they were ready. I love seeing loyalty amongst the righteous in the Bible. Who doesn't? Who does not love to hear the speech of Ruth or Jonathan, his, his armor bearer saying, whatever you do, Jonathan, I've got your back. We love this loyalty when it... Anyway, we love loyalty anywhere in the cause of righteousness. But I have learned that sometimes loyalty has to be taught. Some folks, they think they have loyalty, and they don't. You can only find out if you're loyal when the pressure's on. There's it's no such thing as loyalty when you're just relaxing and everything is fine. It's when there's the challenge. Are you going to stick to the king or the place where God has you? Or are you going to flee? You have to use a straight edge, you know, in life. A straight edge, if you're cutting a piece of wood or something, you know, you put a, a board there to keep your saw straight to the line. Well, loyalty is that way, and it comes in the form usually of a friend that can help you say, well, I'm not running. I'm going to stay. I think this is right. It's a Passover. Well, let's not be so quick. Let's give the benefit of the doubt when there is doubt. 
Now, I'm not talking about loyalty to, to known, you know, devilish work. If, if Ichabod, if the, Lord, the glory departs, then you need to go with it. But if the glory is still there and it's just a little, you know, stuff's a little ugly, just tough it out and God will straighten it out. Uh, so anyway, I've watched too many good Christians lose sight of loyalty and abandon their post over lint, dust, nothing. And it's just, you know, no one was there to demand them stick by their post. Saying, now's not the time to flee. Stick to your posts. The incidentals will pass. We will overcome them. There's a not grounds for desertion. And to get loyalty, if you don't have it, you have to begin with resolve. And you begin in the time of peace, if you can. Before the trouble comes, you, you start building yourself up. You know, loading your weapon at the beginning of the firefight is not ideal. And so go in ready. Keep the swords sharp. And uh, don't flee at the first in the day of discord. Proverbs 24.10. If you faint in the day of adversity, your strength is small. Sums it up for me. Anyway, he instructs the shifts to be on alert and to kill anybody that is a threat. As soon as they come into your, you know, area, you kill them. Verse 10, these are the days, this is how it was at this time. Verse 10, and the priest gave the, the captains hundreds, pardon me, and the priest gave the captains of hundreds, the spears and the shields, which had belonged to King David, that were in the temple of Yahweh. Well, that's in your face, Satan. You tried to destroy the king, he's still alive, and we're going to use weapons that are connected to the very David that you despise. This was symbolic and it was powerful. The king of Egypt, Shishak, had come in, 1 Kings 14, and he took all the gold and silver shields, anything was of value, he ignored these, are just common weapons. Ah, yeah, I got better ones in Egypt or just the same, whatever. He leaves these behind. How many times did the priests go past the closet where these weapons were, the armory where these weapons were, and not know they were going to be used to save the Messianic line or hope that there would be some righteous use to overthrow Athaliah. David's influence is all over this. One of the greatest men in the Bible. Um, oh man, just the mercy that he received from God alone catapults him to the top on my list. Not, not the tip top, but the top. Anyway, Jehoiah's Use of these weapons symbolizes the return of the Davidic line, the Davidic, uh, Davidic heir in, in this, this Joash here, the descendant of David. The temple was designed by David. The temple mount was purchased by David. David ordered much of the temple worship that they're benefiting now from these shifts with the divisions of the Levites. David put, set that up. He perfected it, developed it. It was his protocol for worship. David wrote many of the psalms that were sung in worship by these Levites. David contributed to the building of the temple from his own bank account, his private um, accounts, his own money, and, uh, and, and the money that was seized in his wars. His name is all over this. 
And it rightfully so, because this is God. God did it all. He's the author of all of it. This had to stoke these men. These Levites, not from the tribe of Judah, but Levites. They would say, I'm from the tribe of God. They could say that. Uh, anyway, this had to stoke them. This was more than memorabilia. This was, You wouldn't go, oh, there's a collected item. Don't use them. They were going to use these to kill people. And they did. This was God's history. And it was being reactivated for war against the devil. And they knew it. And Satan knew it. And Satan couldn't do anything about it. His precious Athaliah, his instrument for, for six years, or 15 years, is about to end. Well, it says that we're in the temple of the Lord. Uh, It galled these men to have to be under the authority of such a demon. Verse 11. Like, you know, it galls us when we see evil get away with evil and get elected. Um, Anyhow, verse 11. Then the escort stood, every man with his weapons in his hand, all around the king from the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple by the altar of the house. Uh, here, imagine, what a picture the escort stood every man with his weapons in his hand that's a picture of Bible believing Christians coming to church is it not from Satan's perspective from Satan's perspective you are a threat if you believe in your scripture and are determined to submit to the Lord even in your worst times of failure you return and you stick and abide with the Lord well, he ordered them to do this in verse 8. Every Christian with their sword, Ephesians six seventeen. this would be the obvious one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, metaphorically. Metaphorically for us, from hell's perspective, is real. Hebrews four twelve, the Word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of the soul and the spirit and the joints and the marrow. It cuts deep. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So when we, the Christians, see this, this is not just a historical lesson for us. If you were teaching this in high school of the, of, in Israel, which I don't think they do, but uh, they, they may take parts, some yeshiva may get into it, but we look at this as this is God in action. Even if God does not do these things on my behalf. Again, I mentioned Saul, Paul the Apostle, wasn't called to face the machine gun fire initially, but ultimately he did. He stoned enough times to tell people to stop bugging him. He bears on his body the marks of Christ. Catch the superlative nouns here. The king, the temple, the altar, the house, and that sword, sharper, cuts deeper than any blacksmith's sword, all rich with suggestion, realization, Even if we don't remember the sermon, if we're exposed to sermons that point these things out, it makes us stronger all around the king. That's the throne on earth for them. The king, they thought he was dead. From the right side of the temple to the left side of the temple. Their place of worship. By the altar, their place of sacrifice. By the house, the place of dwelling for the little king. His hiding place. Verse 3, again, going back to verse 3. So he was hidden with her in the house of Yahweh for six years while Athaliah reigned over the land. Verse 12. And he brought out the king's sons, put the crown, the king's son, singular, put the crown on him and gave him the testimony. They made him king and anointed him 
and they clapped their hands and said, Long live the king. Well, Deuteronomy, instructions were given long before Israel had a king, and they were commanded to give the king a copy of the law for him to meditate on it, the Torah, and he was to write by hand, in his own handwriting, the Torah, Genesis through Deuteronomy. Maybe that's how he was taught. He certainly was homeschooled. That's not a slight on public school, but it's true to the story. He is homeschooled. What are they teaching him? How do they teach him to read and write? And they were big on this. It wasn't like, you know, they were all ignorant. No, they were, they, they were smart people, too, educated people. Maybe they had him write the law in those six part of those six years, begin to writing, and maybe that's part of the testimony they gave him. Either way, it was Scripture, whether it was in his own, with his penmanship, or it was handed to him. Verse 13. Now, when Athaliah heard the noise of the escorts and the people, she came to the people in the temple of Yahweh. Well, it's not uncommon to find devils of any rank enter the places of true worship. And that's what's happening here. This is a devil of high rank, and she's entering into the true place of worship. You want to yell at her, why aren't you back at Baal's house? Yeah, what are you doing here? Anyway, it's going to be worse than yelling at her, what's coming, verse 14. When she looked, there was the king standing by the pillar, according to custom, and the leaders and the trumpeteers. Oh, trumpeters, sorry. Pardon me. We're with the king. All the people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets, so Athaliah tore her clothes and cried out, Treason, treason! <laughs> I love this part. <laughs> this is my favorite part. Well, it's not, but I like it a lot. Uh, the look on her face when she realizes what's happening. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't have a bunch of Levites with their with their cameras out. Perhaps it was one of the two pillars outside the temple, Jachin or Boaz, because this is Solomon's temple. Uh, God will establish Jachin, you know, the, in him is strength, Boaz. And the leaders and the trumpeters were by the king. Now the majority is against her. The, the, the majority is an uprising here, and they're going to blow their horns, man. And... The people of the land were rejoicing and blowing trumpets. Oh, man, this was death notes to her. To Paul said to one, talking about the incense, it's the fragrance of victory, to the other, the fragrance of death. Uh, so uh, they were glad to see her go. Something to toot your horn about. So Athaliah tore her clothes and cried out, treason, treason. Typical of evil, accusing the innocent of the crimes they commit. She's the one that committed treason. She had no, 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 no claim to the throne. But they're not following her. <clears throat> when Satan engulfs the mind, the mind is only out for itself and behaves ridiculously evil. She felt slaying her own family to protect her quest to rule was okay. That wasn't treason. She felt anyone who protested her right to do this, who denied her, did an injustice to her. All self-centered. She was the standard, not man, not the Jews, certainly not Yahweh. She is the standard of treason in her sick head. Again, the scary thought is that throughout history, there's never been a shortage of people like this. And many of them become dictators of countries. Vile criminals demanding their rights be respected, 
treated, demanding they be treated with decency. While the decency that they denied their victims of. You know the whole thing about the, you know, the policeman putting the guy in the car and watching, watch your head. I would be looking for the camera. And if I didn't see one, no, okay. You know, it's the flesh, you know. I'm really a pastor. I wouldn't do that. Uh, but I see these things. I see them in my flesh. And I'm always saying, well, Lord, what should I do with this one? And he's always correcting me, it seems like. I just can't figure it out on my own. Anyway, verse 11. And Jehoiada the priest commanded the captains and the hundreds of officers of the army and said to them, take her outside under guard and slay with the sword whoever follows her. For the priest had said, do not let her be killed in the house of Yahweh. So uh, they are to, she's going to be executed. And any of her advocates that dare uh, demonstrate their allegiance, they're going to be killed with her. Verse 16. So they seized her, and she went by way of the horse's entrance into the king's house, and there she was killed. Isn't it ironic that she died by the horse gate, and her mother Jezebel was trampled by horses? Hmm. Things that make you go, hmm. That's one of them. Now, on the way, they said to her, you have the right to remain silent, and we hope you do. But it really doesn't matter, because in just a few, <laughs> we'll be through with you. That all rhymed. Uh, anyway, verse 17. And Jehoiada made a covenant between Yahweh and the king and the people that they should be Yahweh's people, and also between the king and the people. Now, this is a reformation. Repentance and restoration is the beginning of this process. In the end, God knows who truly is turning back to him and who is not, who is going to retain the idols. Verse 18, And all the people of the land went to the temple of Baal and tore it down. They thoroughly broke it in pieces, its altars, its images, and killed Mathan, the priest of Baal, before the altars, and the priest appointed officers over the house of Yahweh. So, and remember, Jehu did this in the north. We read that last week. He reduced the temple of Baal in, Baal in the north uh, to a dump, a, a public latrine, really. And uh, here, they are raising the temple and uh, killing the high priest and, and guarding the house of God against retaliation. Verse 19, Then he took captains of hundreds. This is all Jehoiada. You know, he's just in control now. And... It was a righteous, righteous thing. Then he took, verse 19, captains of the hundreds, the bodyguards, the escorts, and all the people of the land. And they brought the king down from the house of Yahweh and went by way of the gate to the escorts, to the king's house. Then he sat on the throne of the kings. So all the people of the land rejoiced, and the city was quiet. For they had slain Athaliah with the sword in the king's house. Verse 21, Joash was seven years old when he became king. He is the eighth king of Judah. He's the youngest of all the kings, both north and south, to, to ever be coronated and placed on the throne. And he's going to reign for 40 years. So just a quick review will be done. His father was an idolater, Ahaziah. Reigned for a year and was killed by Jehu. His grandmother, Athaliah, was the witch of the south who slaughtered her own grandchildren. The Lord's seed, he is, 
of the Davidic line. He had an aunt named Jehoshiba. She was a heroic aunt. He had special wives as he grew older, handpicked by Jehoiada. He arranged these marriages because he was just a sharp cookie. Um, and he just knew that's what had to be done in those days for that king. There was a moment of hope with jo- with uh, Joash. We'll get to that in the coming chapters when he repairs the house of God. A lot of lessons in that. A lot of rebukes for a lot of churchianity too baked into that. We'll get to that. And Jehoiada, this uncle, wife, a uh, husband of Jehoshiba, he was just an exceptional mentor. Second Kings chapter twelve. Joash did what was right in the sight of Yahweh all the days in which Jehoiada the priest instructed him. The power of discipleship. But again, once Jehoiada goes, dies, things change. We see this, there's a, a boxer, a famous boxer today, um, that uh, was kind of this, this man took him under his wing, took him off the streets, made him a champion boxer. And as long as that man was alive, this prize fighter, this boxer, was uh, relatively decent as boxers go. But when that man died, that boxer turned into a monster. Did time in jail. I mean, just it, he's still around today, and uh, I wouldn't want to share a cab with him. But uh, just the influence is a big deal. It's, it's not a little deal. Let, let's pray. Our Father, lessons again fly off the pages. May we catch them to your glory to our benefit and the benefit of those around us. And may, as we look at these, uh, just the sword in action in the Old Testament, may we understand it must be filtered through the eyes of the New Testament. Ours is a ministry of grace, but it is a ministry of sensibility nonetheless. May you get us all home safely tonight, we ask you in Jesus' name. Amen.